just a quick heads up that these are adults having adult conversations about things that take place on a show where the adults use a lot of adult language. All this to say, there might be some salty language ahead, so please plan accordingly. And though I believe that Ted Lasso will fail here and Richmond will suffer the embarrassment of relegation, I won't gloat when it happens. Because I can't help but root for him. What would Ted Lasso do? This is a question that we explore in each episode of this podcast. We take the lessons we learn from Ted Lasso and we apply them to the real world through the lens of leadership and positive psychology. My name is Dimple Dabalia. And my name is Jeff Harry. And neither of us have ever recorded a podcast. But as Ted Lasso says, taking on a challenge is a lot like riding a horse. If you're comfortable while you're doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. We hope you enjoy this episode as much as we enjoyed making it, and that it helps you find new ways to believe. How are you? Um, I'm, I'm doing okay. Yeah. <laughs> so I don't know, for my la- the last episode, I think I told you I was going to go on this 24-hour yes. date. Yeah, it's going to go on this 24 hour date for this uh, dateable podcast. So overall, how was the 24 hour date? And I was supposed to adopt a a panda mentality. Oh, that's right. Okay, give me a panda. Yep. And being like, I'm curious, I'm playful, I'm fully present. So I did do that. And I did do that for, I believe, 23 and a half hours. But it just was too much. I was that exhausted. That last, that last so half hour was just like exhausting. Not to get into too many of the details, where we basically first day we walked 12 and a half miles, you oh, know, wow. talked about so much different stuff. The person is very fascinating, you know, interesting, but not playful. And play is like one of my core values. And then the second day, I thought I did a really amazing thing. I had her go to my friend. I got my friend Reem to open up the inside of her restaurant for the first time since the pandemic. Like they opened it up as a test run. Oh, so wow. we were the first people to get to be inside. It was like a really special thing. I don't know if she even sure. realized how special it was. And then we did that. And then the play thing that we I did was like we went to the Salvation Army and you could only spend $6.50 each and we got to make costumes right and my uh-huh. costume is like a top hat and like this shawl <laughs> she just bought a sweater like that's all she bought like a sweater that she's going to use every day and then we went to my friend matt haney's wait wait what did she like what she was said, her response to your outfit she was just like oh that's what you're gonna wear oh okay and then she was like well i'm gonna pick something more utilitarian and she got a sweater and a hat you know as if she was like going shopping at target Right. And then from there, we went to Matt Haney's. We went to my friend Matt Haney's holiday party because he was running for assembly district. And there was chicken and waffles and all this good food and grits and stuff like that. And he bought us drinks. And I was like, this is amazing. But yes. But anyway, and then and then we just hung out and more people bought us drinks. And, you know, it was all this stuff. What, you know, I could go into the details, but I won't. But ultimately, (laughs) At the end of the day, she was not playful. And and I need that in a partner. So when we went to the podcast the next day, 
just remind people the premise of this um, well, so date. The premise of, yeah, the premise of this was it was a 24-hour date, 12 hours on Saturday, 12 hours on Sunday, 10 a.m. to 10 p.m. each day. And you only could spend $100. The premise also was, the, do you gain more appreciation and possibly fall in love the longer you spend time with somebody? But I found, as I spent more time with this person, I actually became more incompatible as I started to see more and more stuff that just was, we just weren't aligned, right? So by the yeah. time I got on the podcast on Monday and they had interviewed her first and then they interviewed me, they were like, what's your problem? She's amazing. She's smart. She's all these things. What's your deal? And I was like, well, you know, she's more results oriented. I'm more process oriented. And they were just like angry at that. What this reminds me of, and we kind of talked about this beforehand, is just it was frustrating to me because I felt like I couldn't be honest and just be like, yo, these are the ways we like disagree because that would just get too in the details. And I also didn't want sure. to talk bad about another person because it's not that that person's wrong. It's just like they just don't align with me. But yeah. I also felt as if someone was telling a story about how I am feeling. And I'm like, why are you trying to like? Yeah, you're like, this is my my story to tell about how I'm feeling. Yeah. Yeah, this is I'm just sharing how I'm feeling. And then they gave me suggestions on how to get better at dating. And they gave me suggestions <laughs> like yes anding and following your curiosity. And I'm like, dude, I do that. That's exactly what I did this entire. This is the only reason I got through this 24 hours. Like, And I love I, how like you're like the improv kind of person who like that's your life anyway is the yes and in curiosity and giving you advice on how to do that. Yeah. So I was like, oh, my God, you're, you're place explaining me. Really? Is that what's yeah. happening? So, you know, as you can see, I'm a little bitter, but like, I really was trying to be a pan in the whole, I was really trying to be curious and present. You know, I didn't pull out my phone. I didn't like, you know, I didn't, when she would be sharing stuff, I was like fully interested, you know, oh, I even bought a care package because she had mentioned she liked popcorn. So I had a pair of package the next day. Like I was on it. Right. So I was (laughs) fully in it. But yeah. but the fact that we were just not compatible was like, that's just a reality. And, sure. and it was frustrating that that I felt like I was wrong. I was being told I was wrong for feeling the way I'm feeling. Yeah. Well, and I just want to say, like, all joking aside, like that takes a lot of courage to just even engage in that. So I do want to acknowledge you for that, because. I mean, I like the fact that you put yourself out there. I'm like so scared to do that. I can't imagine stepping out in that way with someone. And then to have somebody tell me that I'm doing it wrong, even though it's like talking about my lived experience. Like, so anyway, uh, just, I am really um, impressed by your willingness to do that. So yeah, I'm sorry. It didn't go so well, but you know, good, good learning experience. (laughs) So, So my thing was to be a goldfish and I had many, many opportunities to practice this, which is fine. Like I, you know, I think it's a great concept, but what I found to be really interesting is as I was kind of reflecting on it over the week, I really started kind of putting together the pieces that I think this idea of being a goldfish is super nuanced. Like on the one hand, it feels like it's just about like, oh, just forget it and move on. But I think it's actually more about, or what I felt like it was about was really about self-compassion and 
not really letting that inner critic take you down in the process, right? So I teach a class called um, MPEAK, which is Mindful Performance Enhancement Awareness and Knowledge. And it's really like it explores the cross-section between mindfulness and performance. And so we talk about this a lot in the course. And, you know, and it's this idea that like if we're in any kind of a, a performance situation, we want to have that goldfish mentality, right? So that if you're an athlete and you mess up, um, like, you know, like on the show, like where Sam, you know, messed up, he was getting down on himself. And and that's when when Ted says that, you know, just be a goldfish, right? And you know, the idea is we're not going to get in our head and then have that be the thing that, that um, gets in the way. Like that's often what gets in the way anyway. And so one of the first examples for me that came up was even just like right after we recorded last week, there was an example that I had given about something and I just like kept replaying it in my head. And I was like, oh my God, mm. like that was just such a stupid example like, why did you say that? And, you know, people are just going to be so bored of this. They're not going to want to listen. Da, da, da. And so you can find yourself like reliving the past and getting stuck in the past. And then you start thinking about the future that hasn't even happened yet where you're like, oh, you know, and so for me, it was like, oh my gosh, nobody's going to want to listen to this. <laughs> like, it's terrible. Um, instead of, you know, the goldfish piece is like, okay, I'm going to bring in the self-compassion. So in that moment, like, because I noticed that I'm in this spiral, I can stop myself and say, all right, you know what? It was one example. I'm my toughest critic anyway. Like it probably wasn't as bad as I thought it was. And if it was like, that's okay. Like it happens. And I gave plenty of other great ones, you know? And so you can like bring yourself back into the present moment and not be stuck spinning in the past or the future. And so for me, like, that was really what came out of this idea of, of being a goldfish was really just being present to where you're at and not getting stuck, you know, in the past or the future. So that, that sparked for me, I'm trying to look for the quote, but it was um, this professor that was talking about how you feel a feeling for about like 90 seconds. And then you have this choice of whether or not you want to continue to feel that feeling or not you know, and go down the negative spiral, or do you want to like change your mind at that point? It's funny how we keep doing it. It's like these 90 second intervals of, of, oh yeah, by the way, you're a horrible person. Hey, did I remind you? You're also a horrible person. Hey, (laughs) just in case you forgot, you're still horrible. And it's like, we get this choice each time, but at the time we're so good at getting into the negative spiral. We've like done it for so many years. It's so hard to catch yourself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's jump into this week. This is one of my favorite episodes, I think, of this season for a lot of reasons. So today we're talking about season one, episode three, Trent Krim, The Independent. This was written by Jason Sudeikis, Bill Lawrence, and Brendan Hunt, and directed by Tom Marshall. Uh, A lot of like big themes. So Mm -hmm. definitely leadership, right? So, So many different styles of leadership, which we can dig into. Creating psychological safety. Uh, Mm -hmm. was another one that I really like tapped into. And then the other one that really came up for me was um, like the power of kindness. And we talk about kindness, like in that realm of positive psychology, but there is really something very powerful about and kind not being like, 
oh, you're a pushover or whatever. But like kindness is really a superpower. And then obviously like the bullying and the harassment, which was happening on two different levels, which I thought was interesting. So I don't know. What did you really notice? Like, Well, well, I mean, just from the beginning, I thought it was really interesting, right? Ted walks into Rebecca's office. Now I remember their names. I'm very happy. So Ted walks into her office. (laughs) So am I. She's angry that the story has not run yet. Yet he brings her the cookies and she's like, she like sniffs the cookies. She's like, she's like, I need these cookies. It's amazing because she, you know, both wants to destroy him, but she also was now beginning to like need him in a way, which is really interesting. And I think that is what's happening with each and every character throughout it is each of them are like, oh, this guy is a waste. And also now it's like it's getting it's digging in. So I first found that to be fascinating. It was like, oh, OK, OK, he's starting to make inroads. I noticed that, too, because there was two scenes like twice where he brought in the biscuits and both time like it's just become such a normalized thing. And yeah. it, I was like, how many weeks have passed? But it's only been two weeks because he says, you know, like in the scene with Beard, when they're talking about the strategy, uh, he says Crystal Palace kicked our booty last week. So yeah, that was, that- you know, Crystal Palace was his first week. So it's only been two weeks and he's already like, it's now become like just the power of like showing up and doing that. And it's just normalized now where she, she's not even fighting him coming in anymore to give her the biscuit. It's expected yet at the beginning, she was just like, I never have time for this. She still is now saying she doesn't have time for this, but she's making time, which is yeah. really interesting. Yeah. She's now just planned this out as part of it. So I thought that was really powerful. And then I really th- I loved when they started taking Nate the Great's ideas. Like this yes. is what every organization should do. Like, and and yes. I won't go far too far into it, but you know, my friend no, Reem. Go far. <laughs> oh, well, my my friend Reem, you know, who opened up her Reem's restaurant. She has one in Oakland, but she opened one in San Francisco. And it was a really big deal. Like she's like really awesome and everything. Palestinian bakery, but she opened it up right before the pandemic. So it was like open for like a week or two weeks. And then the pandemic they shut it down. So, but she had, she asked her staff, what ideas can we do in order to like keep this thing going? And she came up with so many ideas because it really did not matter whether you were like line staff, you know, wait, like waiter, like whatever. She was like, I want all the ideas. And I feel like that what Nate the Great was, right? And then later on, yeah. when Trent was like, You're getting it from the kit guy, you're getting it from this person. And he's like, Yeah, why not? I'll take ideas from anywhere because I don't know this game. So I'm gonna respect whoever knows this game, regardless of title. And I was like, Ooh, that yeah. is a real great lesson. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, and I think that's like that piece of leadership, right? So Ted's leadership style is just so emotionally intelligent, right? Like he, he can see like where people have the potential to excel and he leads by inspiring and empowering people around him. Right. And the thing with, with Nate was, I think it also like, this was the scene for me in particular that when I started thinking about psychological safety. So like, uh, I also do a lot of work with this with clients. And, and so for people who don't know, you know, psychological safety is this idea that we can show up in the workplace, say, you know, what we need to say and trust that like, we're not going to be, you know, punished for it or, uh, 
regarded badly for it. Like there's just a sense of safety that we have that we can show up and be ourselves. Yeah. And I loved that you can see like in Nate and how he's carrying himself. Like when, when Ted asks about, you know, do you have an idea? He's like, uh, no, no. Well, yes, no, no. You know, and he's like, he's not sure what to do because nobody's ever asked him that. And then I love that they, you know, so Ted's like, well, you know, share it, like, tell it you're, you're one of us. That's what he says. Um, come on now. You're one of us. Go ahead and fire away. (laughs) And Nate does give them the idea. And he says, whoa, you know, well, no. And and whoa, 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 you're screaming at us. Well, first Nate's like, well, you know, he prefaces it with like, it's not even a great idea. It probably won't even work. And And that's when Ted's like, I really have a hard time hearing people who don't believe in themselves. So I'm going to ask you again, like, do you believe that this idea will work? And then in that moment, Nate's like, well, yeah, I do. And that's when he's just like, why are you screaming at us? Are you screaming? And I love how Beard just jumps. I love that. Yeah, I love that too. And how Beard just jumps right in. (laughs) He yep. doesn't miss a beat. Like he's on the floor. And then the other part of that. So, so right. Like to me, it was like already, he's like creating that space where he's letting Nate know, like, look, but he also had, he set realistic expectations because um, after Nate walks him through the plan, he like hands it to Beard and he's like, all right, let's try it. And Nate goes, you're going to use my play. And he doesn't say, yes, we are going to use it. He says, we're going to try it out. We're going to try it on. We're going to try it on. Exactly. Right. And like, and I love that because he's not promising like, Hey, you know, your idea is the shit and we're going to do it. And, you know, but he's like, it's not an empty gesture, you know? So, uh, yeah, I really, I thought that was What also I love about that is it's very experimental, right? It's very playful. It's very like, Hey, we're just trying, I mean, we're, you know, we're trying everything right now. So we're open to this. And I love that idea of, trying it on right i think they yeah. sometimes say that stuff in like landmark but it it fits this idea of like you don't you know i'm gonna maybe i'll wear it out of the store maybe i won't yeah. i don't know yeah but like but they're having fun with it and then yeah. when they actually put it out on the pitch and yeah. they see how much fun the team is having on it again yeah. the team is now trying it on and being like does this fit us or not. And the only person that doesn't feel it fits is obviously the guy Jamie. that's not getting the ball, Jamie. Right. But then what I loved about that part, well, even before that, I love that part where then Ted challenges them all to run a race with him. And again, <laughs> he's like, it's playful, but it's also competitive. And again, he's building reports only two weeks in and he's already like, you know, people are already getting a little bit more loose, not that loose, but a little bit more loose. And I, what I liked about that running scene also is like, it's not Ted just being like, you guys have to do this. You guys, yep. he's in there with them, you know, in and it. I love, in it. yeah, I love that kind of leadership too. I once had a, um, a boss who it didn't matter how high up he had gotten. Like he, uh, I still remember like we were overseas on a trip and, <laughs> you know, he was part of like this official delegation and all this stuff. And they were supposed to take a plane out to this refugee camp where we were going to be interviewing which was probably like a six or seven hour drive from Bangkok. And then that, you know, like the high level official pulled out and all this stuff. And so the flight got canceled and everything. And so he was like, can I bum a ride with you guys? Like in our van, you know, like that. And he like came with us and he like spent time with the team. And it was not like, this is like someone who's like three levels above us. It's like, he's one of us. He understands. And he would always like step in to like, you know, if he, if somebody needed help with an interview or if they needed help with, 
fingerprinting or whatever. Like he was always willing to just like step in and actually be a part of it. And I remember talking to him about it once and he said, well, look, you know, like, how can I lead the people around me if I don't understand, you know, the, the work that they're doing. And, exactly. and I just, that always stuck with me, you know, exactly. I, it's such a beautiful way to lead. In my opinion, it's the only way to lead. And what I mean by that is like that leadership leader doesn't always need to be in the trenches, but that leader needs to know what it's like to be in the trenches. And yep. that leader needs to know that they are not above it. Right. And yes. there's so yes. many leaders now that are like, I'll never do the other jobs ever again, even for yeah. like an hour. And it's just like, well, then you don't stop telling people what to do. Stop giving advice on a job you did 10 years ago because it doesn't even work that way anymore. And you're still trying to give advice. So it's like, yeah. yeah. And, you know, to what you said about like your friend who wanted like ideas from everyone, right? Like, and how Ted wants ideas from anyone, right? He says, I'm on the prowl for new ideas, right? And there's something like, if you think about as a leader, that's so much pressure to put on yourself to be like, I have to know everything. Yep. And yet so many leaders do that, right? Like they're the only ones who know everything. They're the only ones who can do it. Yeah. And it's like, well, why wouldn't you rely on everyone around you? Because that's like, you know, in this case, like 30 additional brains as opposed to just one. Yeah or 30 additional like forms of creativity and ideas being expressed as opposed to just what's limit, you know, from my limited knowledge. And so it, it hundred percent makes a leader stronger, you know? Um, well, but it's interesting where people start to feel threatened around that. Well, this is where it ties into, you know, like white supremacist, male patriarchal, like culture of work, right. Right. Where, you're taught that you're supposed to be an individual. You're taught you're supposed to know everything. You're taught that because you're at the top, you should know all the answers. And then you think, if I ask a Nate the Great, right, and he does give me a good advice, well, then maybe he's better than me, you know? So mm -hmm. I'm not going to ask anybody and I'm just going to do it all by myself because that's what a leader is. And it's just like, yeah, that's the antiquated old version of leadership. I don't think that will survive in the future, in my opinion. I don't think it will either. But let's contrast that then, you know, so like Rebecca's style of leadership is just, mm -hmm. it's toxic, right? So yes. it's narcissistic. It, there's yes. a lot of bullying, harassment, you he's know. Constantly having to lie to her about where he <laughs> is and what he's doing, you know, <laughs> like he's like sitting on the thing, like he's been there for a while, like, you know, like he's lying. That's what happens in toxicity, right? Uh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. And like, you just can't show up as yourself, you know? And, and then she just puts him down all the time. Like the things yeah. that she says to yeah. him. And I was going to say when she says that he's equally proficient, when he says, I'm not a spy, Rebecca, <laughs> she's yeah. like, you're equally, you know, and he's, I'm just the director of football operations. She's like, yes. And, and equally proficient at both. And initially both, he's like, right. eh. and then he's like, Oh, you know, and it's, it's hurtful. Well, well, even that, but also the fact that like he's lying and she knows he's lying. Like yeah. that's how toxic it is. And you've seen that so much in organizations where people are like, everyone knows everyone else is lying, but no one wants yep. to point out the lie or even the point. Like in Rebecca's case, she knows, she knows and she points it out. And she's yep. also like, you know, you'll probably stab me in the back Higgins. And really the whole time Higgins is just like, I just want to do good things. Like, yeah, I, like you're asking me to be 
as toxic and mean as you. And that's just not me. It's not me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's interesting, right? Because like in the first episode, when she tells him like, oh, I'm taking this team down, he starts to have like this. I don't know if you noticed it where he's like, "Eh, eh, eh," you know, like he keeps like, and he says that it feels like something stuck right, you know, like in his chest. And we'll see that come up over the course of the season, right? Because he it, it's so uncomfortable for him yeah. to operate in that way. So this brings up something else that I think sometimes we forget, right? The kindness aspect that we had talked about, it really does have a ripple effect. So think about it. Like, so Ted is so happy that she's going to stop them from running the story, right? Not knowing yep. that she's the one who created the story yeah. in the first place, but whatever. <laughs> so he asks her first, like, oh, can you do something? And Keely's in the room. And then when she tells him later on, I'm, I was able to stop the story. And he's like, MVP, MVP. <laughs> he tells Keely, all of a sudden, Keely, who a lot of people probably don't like, comes out of nowhere and starts being nice to her. So even yeah. without him telling her, hey, like, Keely, you should go hang out with Rebecca, just because Ted was nice to Rebecca and then Rebecca supposedly was nice back. Then Keely was like, okay, now I'm going to reciprocate it. And the ripple effect starts happening. And then all of a sudden, Rebecca is getting compliments from like this model. And you can tell like, wow, Rebecca hasn't had a friend in a really long time. And when was the last time she got complimented on like her body or complimented on all the things that she does? And that was fascinating. Just seeing that whole domino effect. Yeah, for sure. And the other thing about that, though, with the Keely Rebecca thing is just, I love seeing, and I've read this so much too, really solid female friendship being created where it's not about tearing each other down and things like that, even though Rebecca starts off this way. But what's interesting to what you were just saying is like, Keely is actually, she's intimidated by Rebecca, right? So she says that to Ted in the last episode around the Panda Lion thing that she's so intimidated by her. And I think to your point, the kindness piece, I think it made like some of that wall come down to where she felt like maybe she could connect with her now yeah. because, you know, she she wasn't as scared. Like if, if the person's going to be kind to me, then there's nothing to be scared of about them. Yeah. And and she says that to you, I'm not going to be scared of you anymore. Right. I thought that that was actually really lovely, too. And their friendship is one of the things I love um, about mm-hmm. this series as it progresses to show women actually lifting each other up that way. Yes. Yes. Right. And that the story wasn't like their friendship in relation to a guy. It was just like their friendship. Right. Yeah. But I find the other part that's really cool about it is also it's Keely that probably gets Rebecca to bring down her guard. Ted does as well, but it's Keely that has, because like probably Rebecca up until this time, because she's had to protect herself so much. She hasn't had anyone that she can like trust or confide in or the fact that she even showed the picture to Keely. I know I was surprised. It was like a really big thing. And then to get, yeah. So like, that's even a risk as well. Right. She could have also shooed Keely out. of. Oh, I didn't even think about this. She could have also shooed Keely out of the room, but because Ted has hung out there before now, like Rebecca's willing to tolerate that person, even if it's for like three minutes, right? That yeah, yeah. Before, so it's I think like you're Whoa. right. Yeah, yeah, because like she she lets her sit down, she lets her put her feet up on the sofa. Uh-huh. Like know? she could have been and like, then, get out of here and bring yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's funny. 
but the kind going back to the kindness piece, like I also think uh, to your point about the ripple effects, looking at like Ted and Trent Krim, you know, mm. and because from the minute like Trent Krim has been like so rude to Ted in the yeah. press room and like. Uh, and even when he shows up on the pitch that day, he's just like, hello, Ted Lasso from America. <laughs> and from like, America. <laughs> yeah. And then when he confronts him about like, you're letting, you know, you're trusting uh, a major or a Premier League um, attack to a kit man, you know, like he just, he's so like confrontational and things like yep. that. I mean, that's <clears throat> part of his job too, as a journalist, I guess. But but Ted, like from the first minute, you know, like he reaches out to shake his hand and he's just yep. like, you know, I'm really looking forward to spending time with you. Yeah. And, you know, and like that whole like thing to the point of where by the end, like Trent is like bought in, you know, yeah. he's just like, okay, yeah. like, yeah, this, and, and like at the end where uh, Trent leaves the restaurant and Ted's just like, you know, I just want to say, I really enjoyed spending this time with you today. And he goes, you actually mean that, don't you? You really believe that, don't yeah. you? Oh my gosh. You know, and it's oh. like, and it's like, and it. It, that was like his strategy, right? Like, uh-huh. when you know what you do with tough cookies, you dip them in milk. So, like, you it's literally in milk. It's like, dipped yeah. them in milk. And the other part, Trent Krim, is it Krim or Grim? I guess it's Krim. Krim. Yeah, he reminds me of, remember Ratatouille, that food critic yes. that, yeah. like, that <laughs> is won over at the end? You yeah. know? And I think the part that I love about Trent is that they're playing completely different games. Trent is like, I'm ready for this adversarial battle between you. We're going to, it's going to be the battle of the wits. <laughs> and, and he even says, let the battle commence. Let the battle begin, right? When he's yeah. chopping the, but he, but yeah. he thought the battle was the whole time. And yeah. Ted's, Ted's playing the curious game. Like, He's not trying to win. That's the whole example. That's why he keeps emphasizing. Like, I'm not, you know, I don't really care about the successes and and losses, right? The wins and the losses. So like, while Trent is going around like a Roomba looking for dirt, Ted's (laughs) like, Ted's like, go ahead. Like, look around. Like, you know, you get to have access to everything. And then it's funny because even when they then go to the charity auction, the charity where like, you know, Roy plays with the kids and blah, blah, blah. Trent's like, oh, what a coincidence that you plan this today. Again, thinking that Ted is playing that game, that yeah. Ted think this long ahead, this far ahead and be like, oh, yeah, well, we got to set this up because this is how Trent thinks. And I think a lot of people do that all the time where they think you think how you they think like that. Exactly. That I'm adversarial. So you'll be adversarial. And by the end, Trent has realized his game is not really fun. And he actually enjoys Ted's game more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't want, I don't want to berate this guy. Like that's one of the best lines. What is the line that he says? Although I believe Ted Lasso will fail. I won't gloat when it happens because I yeah. can't help, but root for him. Like, Ooh, Ooh. Yeah. Like, that whole like montage at the end was beautiful. And, and, oh. and the lines that really in a business that celebrates ego, Ted reigns is in, his coaching style is subtle. It never hits you over the head, slowly growing until you can no longer ignore its presence, whether that means allowing followers to become leaders. And then he goes on about the Indian food and stuff like that. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it, it sums it up perfectly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And then to think outside of Trent, that whole idea of like giving out the books, right? Phil Jackson used to do that. With the Bulls, as well as with the Lakers, he would give books out. 
Now, will most of those people read it? Probably not. But the ones that do, the ones that do like, you know, Jamie like tosses it, right? He's he's already shown he's not bought in. But the fact that Roy, even though he hates (laughs) Ted, he's reading it to his niece and then he's like, is having an effect on me. And you can see that Ted is having an effect on Roy from the beginning when Roy starts to mimic Ted and it's like a really bad, like I'm from Kansas, <laughs> but it's digging into him. So from the beginning, you're like, okay, he's already having an effect, right? Because he's already like Roy's already pissed off. And when uh, I, I thought this was one of my favorite parts is when Roy goes in to be like, are you going to do anything? And yeah. he goes, well, I've learned, you know, what did he say? about the bully. Um, I'm trying to look for it now. But the whole idea of like, yeah, if the teacher tells the bully to stop bullying, then, you know, they're going to continue. They're going to do it more. Yeah. So he's just like, well, you're not going to do anything. And he's just like, yeah. And then afterwards, he's like, that's the first domino. And it was like, oh, I love that. Two weeks in recognizing the domino, but then also being very subtle about it as well. You know? Yeah. Not hitting them over the head. No. No, because he could have told Roy to do that and then it wouldn't have worked out. I want to pause on the books for a second because books are like a really big thing in this show. And what's been interesting, uh, as like I said, in the um, in the past, like I've dived deep into these Ted Lasso groups on Facebook. Um, but like all these books have been like super analyzed and it's really interesting because they've mm-hmm. they've been very on point with things. And so there's a great article by Danica Ellis um, it's called Overanalyzing Every Book on Ted Lasso to Predict Season 2. <laughs> I won't talk about the predictions because I don't want to give okay. away spoilers. Uh, but I will say she she did a pretty good job. Um, but so Sam was given the book Ender's Game. And he's also at one point reading, like, I think a Harry Potter book. <laughs> she makes, and so Danica makes this point about it's interesting that Sam keeps getting these books with authors who have transphobic and homophobic views. But she talks about, like, I had not read Ender's Game, but it's, it, she talks about how it's uh, potentially a message to Sam not to let himself be underestimated. Like mm-hmm. Ender, he's been plucked from obscurity and has to make it a new environment. Make it in a new environment. This is also a story about imperialism and understanding the other, which is an appropriate pick. And Sam just reminded Ted of of that of the True. U.S. True. And then Jamie gets the beautiful and the damned, which is um, about being obsessed with the past and status and wealth above everything oh. else. Uh, it's a tale about mortality and just, you know, like everything is like surface level kind of, right? And then Roy gets a wrinkle in time. Do you remember reading this as a kid? I barely remember reading Wrinkle in Time, but I remember like the movies and stuff like that too. Yeah, I feel like I read it in like fourth grade or something, but yeah, I think we I, all. I mean, yeah, like, but I don't remember it at all. But yeah, so we already kind of have a sense of what that's about because Trent Krim explains that for us. I uh, love but that then, Trent Krim comes in to explain yeah. that part for him too. Yeah, and especially because like Roy has just gone off on Ted, and and the other thing about that was like. Um, this idea of mind games, right? Like we'll hear that a lot over the season. Like, and so I feel like somebody else said that in a previous episode, but Roy says it's this one, you know, like I'm just waiting, you know, like I'm, I'm done with the mind games and gifts and, you know, and, and to your point, like going back to this idea that like, this is the kind of leadership they've had up until now, right. Is, and so they don't believe that somebody could really come in and want to empower them and, 
um, help them become leaders. And I think that's when I was thinking about leadership as a theme, that was another element. So there was the emotionally intelligent leader, the uh, toxic leader, and then there's the everyday leader. And that's what Ted is is creating in this, you know, like when he talks about not caring about the wins and losses, but really wanting to create the best version, like helping the the, the players become the best versions of themselves yeah. on and off the field. And that's really everyday leadership, right? It's like being able to show up and but then we see it play out as Roy also, like when he confronts Jamie in the locker room and it's just like, you know, do you recognize the influence that you have on the people yeah. around you? Right. And so how do you use that influence for good uh, rather than the way that Jamie's been using it? And and Roy actually was nice to Jamie. Like he praised yeah. him. Like he could have just, he could have berated him at that point, but he gave Jamie an opportunity to be like, Hey, I'm coming to you as a leader. Now I want you to become a leader. And then Jamie's like, forget it. I'm going to do whatever I want. And that's when Roy's like, okay, I actually need to step up. Like, yeah. I yeah. think the other part that what was, there was something else. Oh, I think also going back to Trent for a moment, Trent, I think going to the soccer charity school thing probably thought, oh, this is where Ted is going to pretend that he's so amazing. But instead Ted is like, playing with the kids, like, you know, and, you know, yeah. he doesn't know and he gets booed and Trent's like, hey, hey, he's getting booed. Like, like, look at that. Just like everyone else. But then when Roy like embarrasses Ted right in front of Trent, he's like, oh, OK, like, like, <laughs> and again, he realizes like, oh, you weren't actually doing this to impress me. Like you're letting me right in the middle of all of it. And then at I think at that point, I think Trent's uh defensiveness goes down a little bit and then probably, and I'm sure he doesn't do this usually, but um, Ted's like, Hey, you want to get dinner? (laughs) Are you hungry? Yeah. Are you hungry? Like, so, so it's, again, it's like slowly making progress on Trent, slowly making progress on Roy, slowly making progress on Rebecca. Like it's interesting in each and every. yeah. Yeah. Did you ever play soccer as a kid? I played all the way through high school. So I played like when I was in elementary school, like on one of those like community yeah. teams or whatever. And this scene just makes me laugh so hard about the headers, right? So first of all, I think it's really cool that Roy gives positive feedback to every single person. <laughs> Even like there's the He's little the one girl that who missed the ball. <laughs> He's like, like, liked like it. okay, whatever. <laughs> And even when Ted goes through, he like compliments Ted. And then when Phoebe like kicks the ball in Ted's face, Roy comes over, he's like, good good job, Phoebe. Phoebe. But I remember when I was playing soccer and it was, you know, I was pretty young and like, I, I was so scared of the ball hitting my head and they used to make us do those drills, you know, where they'd like, and so I'd always duck. And one time my dad happened to like come to practice and he was just like, hell no. And so he like came out and my coach was like my next door neighbor. So, you know, like my dad knew him and stuff. And my dad just stood there and kept throwing the ball at my head because he was like, you wow. can do this. You can do this. And it was wow. just so like, I laugh at it now, but it was, it was so traumatizing. It was, it was at the so time. traumatizing. And so this it, is that scene. It hurts when you're a, a young kid. Yes, and it, it does. Hurt. Like you're supposed to hit uh, it right here, but most kids yeah. have it right here. And then you're like, ow. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, but it always just makes me laugh now. So, <laughs> um, yeah, you were, I love getting that re, you were getting re-traumatized as you were watching the headers. Slightly, of both slightly. yeah. Oh, my goodness. Uh, 
Yeah. But I love that we see a different dimension of him too, though, right? Like that, that relationship that he has with his niece is just, it's so adorable. And the first time they're coming out onto the field, he's got, he's holding Phoebe's hand. He's got her with him yeah, as they're coming onto the field. And like, so you start to get a little bit of a like, oh, like this guy is not just like this gruff, whatever, like yep. there's something there, you know? And so, yeah, I love uh, seeing that. Something also interesting that I just like had a realization on is the power of follow through, the power of like yeah. following through on your word. When Ted goes to that guy's restaurant or his dad, the guy, you know, the, the driver's dad, Ollie, Ollie, he's mm-hmm. like, I say it to everybody. I don't actually mean it or I don't actually believe anyone ever is going to do it. And yeah. it's fascinating that it actually comes through and follows through with it. I, I used to go to all these conferences. I would give out these ridiculous bow ties. I would give my business. Wait, card describe, card. describe for the person. because they so, can't. Yeah. See so I have these like le- I am wearing this Lego bow tie right now. Um, and I used to, when I worked for the STEM organization, we had thousands of these Lego bow ties. So I'd bring them with me to conferences, but I also would say to people, Hey, if you email me, I will give you one. And for every 10 business cards that I would give out to be like, Hey, email me and I'll just mail you one for free. Only one person would get back to me. Sometimes it was like one out of 20. Like it was amazing how much people didn't believe it was actually real. Yeah. So when you actually do follow through, when you actually like say you're going to do something and actually remember, because I was like, who is that guy? Oh yeah. That guy's from when they picked him up from the airport from two weeks ago, he still remembers that guy and also remembers his name, remembers his name. Like, come on, man. And then what was so interesting about like the whole hot food and like being like, give us whatever you want. It reminds me of, uh, I don't know, that podcast where they eat like hot wings or whatever it is. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the eating of hot stuff disarms Trent. He can't even start to fight him and ask him all these questions because he's like, just can't do this like i just can't yeah, his question is like so destroyed just like gets destroyed and then he's just like it's uh, i think i'm i think we're done like the yeah. whole battle that i was supposed to have with you i'm just not going to have this battle you know so it's in again like all this yeah and also now they were in it together because now they're both trying to eat that hot stuff and just try to tolerate it and then trent's like i'm out but that also is a shared experience between them two so yeah. i found interesting. Yeah, no, I really like that. So I want to shift and talk about um, the other thing that I noticed was like the, and obviously like it was a big part of this episode uh, was the bullying piece. So there was like the bullying that was happening in the locker room. And I feel like there's a part of it where like, there's like parallel tracks, like there's all the stuff that happens in the locker room, not just bullying wise, but leadership wise. And then there's yeah. the parallel track of what's happening, like with Ted and Rebecca and like the higher level, you know? And, and I was thinking about that in terms of an organization too, because mm-hmm. right. Like what you see happening at your leadership level is what ends up coming down into, you know, the workforce or, or whatever. So in this case, the team, and I mean, I don't know that they've seen Rebecca uh, treat Higgins that way, but I feel like they, they, they have probably, to, right. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. Like we don't see it on screen, but like the fact that she says to him stuff to him in the hallways and stuff like yeah. that, people are around, right? And so like she as the leader has like been setting that tone. Yeah. And now you've got Ted coming in and setting a completely different tone. And so yeah. you see 
the locker room start to split that way too, right? Because now yeah. you've got like Roy starting to like follow into that piece. And then you've got like Jamie, Isaac yeah. and Colin who are still just like harassing Nate. Um, yeah. And really, you know, and you, you hear him just pleading, like, please don't do this. Please don't do this. You know, until like Roy finally steps in and, and, and says something, um, which is him like stepping into that role as a leader in that space, you know? Oh, I love that. I, I didn't even, so, so this kind of ties in with what we were saying earlier, right? You know, we find ourselves a lot of times when we're working with an organization and being like, hey, are you ready to do this work? Like, are you ready to do create these psychologically safe workspaces? Because for that to happen, you have to be bought in as a leader. And there's yep. so many times when people talk about leadership, right? Or talk about like, we're going to take some action. This happened a lot around Black Lives Matter last year, where so many organizations were like, we're going to do this thing. Um, and then they did their black square and they sent out their email of how <laughs> they're supportive. And they said they're going to do a lot of DEI stuff. And then they ended up either not doing it or ended up yeah. doing bare minimum. So they could put that stamp of approval of like, look, we did something right. And yeah. I think we really have to ask ourselves, you know, in organizations, are we really willing to do the work, right? Are we, or do our actions actually represent our values? And if they're not, yeah. what are you doing to actually change that? Yeah. And having the courage to step into that, right? So as we see like Ted's influence start to spread because he has mm -hmm. the courage to stand up even, and we've talked about this now, like letting things kind of roll off his back. And, and mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, like I think again, it's very nuanced. It's not like he's a pushover and just like he knows what's happening. He's watching yeah. what's happening. Uh, like that, you know, that scene from last time where like, um, you know, Jamie's doing whatever he's doing. He sees it in the mirror um, as he's walking away, you know, and so he sees what's happening and he, and he knows that, but he also knows that he doesn't have to, again, this idea of being subtle about how you're doing it. He doesn't have to be in Jamie's face yelling at him like, Hey, you know, I saw you do that, but you know, yep. he doesn't have to do that because he knows that what he's doing is going to have those ripple effects. And so as we start to see his influence start to spread at that leadership level, we see that happening uh, in the locker room as well, where we start to see that that bonding start happening amongst the team where they have each other's backs and ultimately they have his back. And I just think that it's really, really powerful. And I think it's a, a great um, example of how you know, in a lot of these toxic workplaces where it has been a culture of bullying and harassment and other things there, it's not a lost cause, you know, yeah. like you can change things. But to your point, like leaders have to be open and willing to do the hard work. And I agree, like I think on the DEIA front, uh, I do a lot of work on this front too. And it is often very performative. And, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, I think people don't, know what they don't know and that's part of the problem is like they think they're doing the right thing but they're they don't realize like oh this is not actually going to make a huge shift or or maybe i'm actually doing some more damage <laughs> you know yeah. so that's the other piece of it though is like you have to be willing to do that introspection first and then work with other people and that kind of thing but yeah i don't know i just i, I just think that it's like this show is so interesting on the leadership front so interesting. Yeah. I also think of just the small gestures of what you said earlier, right? Like how many 
small gestures does Ted do to show that he has people's back, right? The countless gestures he does for Nate, right? The gesture he does for Sam before the game, the birthday before the game, and then after, right? The gestures he's done for Roy, the gestures he's done for Keeley, heck, even the gestures he's done for Higgins and Rebecca. So he's constantly doing all these things to, and he's being very patient. Like, again, I can't, I can't imagine it's only two weeks in, right? Yeah. You wouldn't think someone would have this much effect after two weeks, but yeah, he's being really patient and also not like open to whatever is going to play out. Like, I don't think Ted is very fixated on like, you know, he could never have planned for Nate to help them with the offense, but because he's curious he opens up the opportunity for that, right? He probably could never plan that Sam would be shooting because frankly, Sam is a, is a fullback. Sam is on defense. So he shouldn't even be moving. I mean, according, you know, when I would play, yeah, yeah. he's yeah. really shouldn't even be meeting up there because then he, he puts the defense at a liability, but the fact that he's coming out of nowhere is such a weird, interesting way of like running that offense. So there's so many things that he's curious and open to trying and that curiosity and the letting go of results, right? The playing yep, yep. that gives him so much more freedom that a lot of people can't poke holes in his plan because he's like, oh, okay, fine. I'm going to move over here. I'm going to move over here. Like he's not fixated on a certain outcome. Meanwhile, Rebecca is so fixated on the outcome. The outcome is like, I need to destroy this team. Destroy this team. How do I destroy this team? And none of it's working out her way because the article was supposed to come out. It didn't come out, right? You know, they were supposed to be fighting. There's not fighting. Like Trent Grimm was supposed to destroy Lasso. He didn't destroy him. She's like, ah, like that fixated on one result. What I say this all the time. Expectations are are the thief of joy. She's constantly being robbed of joy or robbed of her win because she has such um, very specific outcomes that she needs to reach. Yeah. And I think you're right. And like, I love, you know, I say this to leaders all the time about curiosity being like the number one tool we have in our toolbox as leaders, because for this exact thing that if you can adapt using curiosity and you can, you just have no idea like what you, again, you don't know what you don't know. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's all these people around you who have had these life experiences and other things that have such different perspectives and they can bring so much to this conversation. If you are so caught up in, like you said, like the result or just like it's my way or the highway, like you're missing out on so much, you know, on everything, all the yeah. fun, all of the opportunities, all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I agree. This is this is an amazing episode, especially because Trent writes that letter the same way like Ratatouille, where the guy's like writing it about like the rat. Like I didn't think I'd be one over, but now I am one over. It's entirely possible that that's like a a a Easter egg because like they've done a lot of that where they bring in little you know like they make references to things. So it's very possible. I haven't. I don't like. It's been a while since I've seen Ratatouille, but. Uh, I know that they've referenced that clip clip is so it's so it has this similar as the same energy. It has such the same energy. Okay. Yeah. Cause they've referenced Ratatouille in other parts of the show though. So I bet, I bet you're right. I bet you're right. What lesson are you taking this week to try to. Oh, that's a good question. What lesson? I don't know yet. You go first because I have to think. (laughs) 
I know. I was like, I didn't really think about this one. So yeah. You know, I think I'm going to, I'm going to go with kindness. I don't think I'm a mean person or anything like that, but I think we can all stand to be a little bit kinder. And so I think I'm going to test that out this week in just every situation to see like how I can be just a little more kinder in each situation. Ooh, I love that. I might've mentioned this before, but Elizabeth Gilbert would talk a lot about how when she walks into the room, she wants to be love in the room. And I was like, oh, I want to be playing the room. But like, yeah, that's so fascinating to think like, okay, when I walk into this room, I can be kindness in the room. And what actually happens because of this? I am going to commit to observing, do my actions represent my values? Like, do my actions actually represent what I actually believe? Or am I... You know, and where I'm not doing that, I need to start calling myself out on it. Because if I'm going to call other people or organizations out and on a, on a regular basis and like my TikTok videos and stuff like that, I should also be doing that for myself. Woo! That's yeah, going like to be hard. That's going to be hard. My actions represent my values or my actions represent or even saying my do my actions represent my words and vice mm-hmm. versa. All right. Well, I can't hear. Wait to hear how that actually turns out, which we will talk about next week when we look at episode four. All right. We're already at episode four. Cool. Well, thanks as always. And uh, I appreciate you. Thanks so much. Thanks everyone for listening. See ya. Thanks so much for listening to What Would Ted Lasso Do? If you got any nuggets of Ted Lasso wisdom from this episode, try them out in your life and let us know what happens at WWTLD Podcast on Twitter, Instagram, or at our website, www.tldpodcast.com, where you'll also find a full transcript of the show. We love hearing what other TED heads took away from the episode or details or perspectives that we might have missed. And if you do like the show, please subscribe and head on over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. It all helps. We don't know exactly why, but it does. So in the spirit of believing in hope, believing in believe, please help us out. And thank you to Potify and Sam Davidson for producing our show, to Kajal Dabalia for our visuals and graphics, and to Kenzie Slatel for our theme song. And most of all, thank you to all of you for listening. Ted Lasso could simply just be another show to binge watch. Or if we challenge ourselves to consistently ask the question, What would Ted Lasso do? It could change the trajectory of your life. It has for us. So join us again next time as we explore another episode and ask ourselves, what would Ted Lasso do?